This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Please, this morning to uh, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Today I want to begin a new series. Uh, Not sure how long it will be. Probably not as long as the last one. But a new series uh, entitled Paul's Love Letter to the Philippians. It's the only title I could come up with. It's hard if you're going to do a series on a particular book to get a great title, but that's the only title I could come up with, Paul's love letter to the Philippians. This particular letter to the Philippians, to the believers at Philippi, is without doubt one of his most tender, his most intimate, his most loving and highly personal of all of the letters that Paul ever wrote to the churches. And it also contains some of the most memorable uh, verses that we all know, like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Or he who began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. For me to live, to die, live as Christ to die is gain. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing onwards to those things which are before. All of these verses we know so well. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, think on these things. So those and more are some of our favorite verses that we find in the New Testament. And so today, by way of introduction, let me begin by reminding you how the church at Philippi uh, got started. Now, if any church was going to be planted, uh, typically this is what would happen. If, If it was a church or denomination that was going to plant a church, then what they would do was they would ask someone or some people, a group of people, to go into another town, another village, another region or area, and begin a work there. And whenever they would go there, they would either maybe start up in their own house or a friend's house, like a house group. Or they might hire out a hall or a hotel room or a community center, and they would begin there. Perhaps they would saturate the area with leaflets, announcing their arrival, or maybe knock on doors, or use the internet, Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it. Or if it was, again, if it was maybe a, a denomination especially, maybe they'd hold a week-long mission, and they'd invite one of their evangelists to come. And, uh, and so that way they would hope to start and make a mark and maybe get a few folks saved, enough for a little nucleus to begin a church. That would be typical of how a church plant would operate. However, the church at Philippi had none of that happen. In fact, how it happened and how it began... Uh, was very, very usual indeed. It was under the most unusual circumstances that you could imagine. 
And its birth is found in Acts chapter 16, which we're going to look at just in a moment. Now, what happened is this, that the Apostle Paul and a few others, uh, Silas, for instance, Silas, you remember, took the place of Barnabas. In Paul's first missionary journey, Barnabas and John Mark went with him. But then John Mark returned and he didn't continue, and there was a, a row. There was a big difference of opinion between Paul and Barnabas about that, and so they split up and they went their separate ways. And so now we find that Paul has taken along Silas, who's taken the place of Barnabas, and Timothy takes the place of John Mark, and also Dr. Luke joins them. And so they set out then to visit the churches. What an evangelistic team that must have been. I'd love to see them in operation to see how they do things. But it was a, a tremendous little team of missionary evangelists. And so, as we turn to Acts 16, first of all, Acts 16, uh, let's look at the birth of this church. And this will help us as we uh, continue in this series to help us to understand uh, where they're coming from and why Paul is writing to them. So in Acts 16, then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, what are the decrees? You remember there was a, a, a kind of a conference at Jerusalem because there were some issues between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And they were at loggerheads over different things about food to eat and all the rest of it. And so there was a, a, a meeting of, of the hierarchy of the church, could you say, at Jerusalem. And what they simply decided was, as far as the Gentiles were concerned, in the previous chapter 15, you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. And if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And so there was some direction given to these new churches. And uh, this evangelistic team set off to do that, to go around, visit the churches, and preach and teach, and tell them what the latest was, say, from headquarters, if you could use that terminology. Having done that, then they proceeded then to go further because they wanted to reach new people for Christ. They wanted to share the gospel with people who doesn't even, hasn't even heard about Jesus. And so they go further in their missionary travels. And it says, verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, who's the they? Paul, Silas, and Timothy. You'll see in a moment or two, Luke joins them. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now that is highly unusual. This is exceptional. Here are these men who have got evangelistic hearts. They had 
probably looked at the region and decided between them, that's where we'll go next. That's an area that needs the gospel. And then when we do that area, we'll go to that area, and that next area, and the next area. They had all planned out, nothing wrong with that. Their hearts were good, their motive was correct, they wanted to share the gospel, but lo and behold, the Holy Spirit stops them, puts a block on it. Imagine the Holy Spirit telling preachers not to go into a certain area and preach the gospel. I mean, that must have been a little alarming to them, at least confusing to them. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? What's the Holy Spirit up to? Surely the Holy Spirit knows that's where the gospel needs preached above all places, but the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I forbid you to go into that region. And so there must have been a day or two when they wondered what is going on? What is God up to? And so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so things is becoming a little bit more clear now. Now we know why the Holy Spirit forbid us to preach up there because there's something special he wants us to do in another region. And they listen to the voice of the Spirit. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. Who's the we? The we here indicates Luke, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts as well as his gospel. So that's the four of them. We ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day we came to Neapolis. Neapolis was a, a port on the other side of the sea from where they were, about two to three day journey by sea from where they had been. And from there to Philippi, which is about another 10 miles inland, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. Now, when it says a colony, it means a Roman colony. Special privileges had been given to this town of Philippi by the Roman authorities. Uh, it was named, by the way, after Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander uh, the Great, the Greek, the great Greek warrior. And it retained that name, but the Romans now owned it the Romans were living there, many Romans were living there, and they awarded this city a special place. They called it a colony. And it was a place, actually, that was very much worshipping the emperor. Now, various emperors throughout Roman history, not all of them demanded to be worshipped as God, but some did. And at this time, the emperor demanded uh, worship, in fact, they called themselves Lord and Savior. Caesar is Lord and Savior. So you can see right away that's going to be a problem, particularly for the Christians, because Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And so this is where they were to go. Now, historians tell us that this city was very wealthy indeed. It had gold mines, it had fertile plains outside of it, and uh, there was a lot of traders there. It was on a great highway that ran from east to west, and uh, so it was a great trading place, and uh, it was very, very wealthy. 
A lot of influential people lived in the city. Historians tell us that there's probably a population of about a quarter to half a million people. So it was no mean city. It was the foremost city of that whole region. And this is where God is sending them to. Now note this. And we were staying in that city for some days. Now, if you're going to plant a church, normally <laughs> you would... Again, you would hire out a, a room somewhere or somebody's home or do something like that and get going right away. But they had got the vision of man from Macedonia come and help us. But who was that? How was that going to happen? And so they did the sensible thing was they didn't do anything. They just prayed and they waited on God to see what was going to open up. Now the Apostle Paul in particular, if he went to any city, any town, anywhere... In the Roman Empire, the first thing he would always do was he would look for a synagogue. And he would go and try to preach in the synagogue to the Jews. That would be his first port of call. But there is no synagogue in this city. Does that mean there's no Jews in the city? No, there was some Jews in the city. But maybe not enough to have a synagogue. Uh, you, you need ten men to be able to hold services in a synagogue. Now, I've been to Belfast Synagogue on several occasions at various functions and talks and lectures and things. And uh, a couple of times they have shown us around the whole synagogue and give us a little bit of history of it. It used to be there was hundreds of Jews in Northern Ireland. Now there's only about 80. That's all the Jews there is in the whole of Northern Ireland, about 80. And it's very, very hard for them sometimes to get 10 men so they can hold their Sabbath services. Uh, and the man who was showing us around, he, he told us, he says, look, I'm not particularly religious as a Jew. I'm culturally a Jew, but I'm not particularly religious. But I come here every Sabbath because we desperately need to have 10 men. And he says, I would hate to think that I would be the one to make up the 10th and wasn't here and they couldn't have their service. So he says, always make sure I'm here on the Sabbath day. And so either there wasn't enough Jews... There wasn't 10 men, no matter how many women there would be, there wasn't 10 men. Or there was a number of Jews, but they weren't that religious and they couldn't be bothered. We don't know for sure. But what we do see here is that there is no synagogue. Otherwise, Paul would have been in there and he'd been starting to preach right away. However, look what it says. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down. Now, in the absence of a synagogue, those who would be true worshippers of the one true and living God, uh, mostly they would try to find a river somewhere uh, for ceremonial rites, washing, and so forth, and they would gather there simply to pray. There wouldn't be any teaching going on. There wouldn't be a rabbi to teach, because... They would need 10 men for that, but they would gather for prayer. And so Paul finds this out, and he heads down to the river, and there are a bunch of women praying, which Paul then and the team sit down beside them. Now, this is a big change, by the way, from an ex-Pharisee. Paul, remember, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know, and as a Pharisee, he had been praying every day. <laughs> he had been praying something like this. Lord, I thank you that I am a Jew, not a Gentile. <laughs> that would be one of the first things he would pray. <laughs> and he'd also pray, and I thank you I'm a man, not a woman. 
<laughs> That's what they prayed. And there was other things like that. But here he is. And he's glad for these women who are sitting there praying. And so they sit down beside them. And of course, as soon as they would sit down, that was an indication they weren't just going to pray, they were going to teach. They're going to begin to teach. Now, listen what happens. And he sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. That just doesn't mean that she physically heard us. She gave us a hearing. She listened. She heard us, heard what they had to say. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. So that either means she was a God-fearing woman or that she had, at the very least, or that she was a proselyte to Judaism. She'd come from paganism, probably into Judaism, and was worshipping the one true and the living God. That's as much as that point she knew. She didn't know about Jesus, she didn't know about the gospel, but she knew at least that much. She was a businesswoman, a seller of purple. Uh, the purple was a dye that was specially made in Theatira. Uh, and the Romans loved the color purple. It was a kingly, regal color. Uh, and, and, and obviously she felt if she'd come to Philippi, that would be a, a Roman colony. And so her business would be good, and her business was good. She had done very well for herself. And it says the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And so as Paul is beginning to share the gospel and the things about Jesus Christ, her heart by the Holy Spirit is open to receive this. So the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay so she persuaded us. So here are the first, very first converts in all of Europe. This woman Lydia and her household. That may mean her family. It also may mean her servants. It may mean those who worked for her, who lived at her home. So there's a bunch now has got saved through this team sharing with Lydia this businesswoman who's now a believer. So that's the, the very nucleus, the very beginning of the church in Europe. They didn't know the impact that this was going to have in the whole mighty Roman Empire. At one time in, Romans, in Roman, the Roman history, that all of the Roman Empire became Christianized. So here is this little church beginning that would have impact all over Europe. We are sitting here today on the basis of the seed that was sown in that town of Philippi with this little church. So it's important. And so here they're saved. Verse 16, Not happened as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to us the way of salvation, and this she did for many days. Now that was the truth. These were servants of the Most High God, and they were going to proclaim 
the gospel, the message of salvation. But as we see in a moment, Paul, after many days, got fed up with this. He got angry about it, and he did something about it. Why? I mean, it's saying the truth here. But in a way, it's trying to say they and us are the same. <laughs> you see, I'm identifying them. I'm telling you who they are. I'm not bothered about them because they and us are the same. I'm advertising their ministry for them. The devil's not going to advertise true ministry, really. There's no ulterior motive to this. And it was trying to hide behind them, as it were, the spirit. But Paul let it go for a few days until he got tired of it. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. By the way, the Apostle Paul could have stopped that immediately. He could have said, by the way, I have Roman citizenship. You can't do this to me. This is a kangaroo court and I'm not having it because I'm a Roman citizen. But at this point, he chose not to. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God here. And so, having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because a Roman guard, if he lost his prisoners, he lost his life. He forfeited his life. So that's why he wanted to kill himself. He was about to kill himself, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he, calling for a light, ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now you have to know that this man knew nothing about salvation knew nothing about Jesus, would not be familiar with the term that we're familiar with about being saved, meaning being born again of God's Spirit. That's really what he wasn't saying. He was saying, how can my life be spared? I'm in big trouble, don't you know? That's what he was concerned about. But the Apostle Paul took that opportunity and turned that on. And what did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household... Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. So having made that statement, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, then he went on to explain what he meant by that. 
and they began to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. A typical evangelist taking every opportunity, every time just to twist something and to get in there with the gospel. And that's exactly what he did. And of course, this man was absolutely ready for it. And then he took the same hour, took them the same hour of the night and he washed their stripes. Maybe he was one of the ones who had laid the stripes on them in the first place. But now he's changed. He's born again of God's Spirit. He washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So here are two households now in this one city, probably in the same area of the city, who are now believers in Christ. And that's why the Holy Spirit forbid them up there in Bithynia and Asia Minor to preach because he wanted to do something in this city that would open up the whole door of Europe for generations to follow afterwards. Big doors swing on small hinges. And little did they know that this little fledgling church would grow and spread in the city into other regions into areas all over Europe until eventually the gospel came to Ireland to where we are and when it was day the magistrate sent the officers saying let those men go so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying the magistrates have sent to let you go now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly. Uncondemned Romans have th and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. You see, Paul sometimes used his rights. When it was necessary, sometimes he used his Roman citizen rights. Uh, rights. And so he says, no, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison, and they entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And when they had seen the brethren. Now, the question you may think is, well, where was Dr. Luke and where was Timothy during this? Because they weren't in the prison. But it could be at that moment when Paul and them had been arrested and taken capture that Luke and Timothy wasn't with them at that particular day, at that particular moment. And so at least they escaped that. But now they have joined together again. And so that's the, the birth of this wonderful church at Philippi, a church that Paul absolutely loved dearly, a church that loved him dearly. One of the great supporting churches of his ministry. When, other, when nobody else was supporting this man financially, this church did. Even when it was very, very difficult to do it, they still did it. In fact, in Philippians 4.16, twice it says, he says, you sent to me again and again. In 2 Corinthians 11, 9, when he was in Corinth, they sent to him. In Philippians 4, when he was a prisoner in Rome, they sent to him. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are the two great teachings and giving, by the way. 
he brags about them. He said, out of your great need and affliction, you gave to me. When it was really hard to do it, you still did it, you gave to me. No wonder he loved these people. These were precious, precious to you. This was a great church, so it was. So now I want you to fast forward 10 years to the book of Philippians. This little letter. It's a short letter. By the way, you can read this in 10 minutes. Try it today. Just take 10 minutes today. Sit down, open this, and just read through it without stopping, without even asking yourself questions, just to read it. You can read it in 10 minutes. But what a powerful, powerful book this is. So the Apostle Paul is writing here. He's under house arrest in Rome. And what had happened was that he had spent two years imprisoned in Caesarea under Felix the governor. And Felix the governor kept him in lockup, hoping that Paul would get tired of it and he would hope to get a bribe from him to let him go. And he would have let him go if he had to get a bribe. But Paul wasn't into giving bribes. And at the end of two years, uh, Felix the the governor, the procurator, his time was up. And Festus, a new one, was stepping into his position. And at that point, Paul began to realize that the Jews who have falsely accused me, who got me arrested here, they're not going to change their mind because they hate and despise me. They'll keep this going. And Festus, well, what does he care about me? He'll just let me rot in this prison. And so, again, he pulls out his ace card. Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I demand to make my appeal unto Caesar. And that's what a Roman citizen could do. They could go to the highest court in the land. So he says, I'm going to the highest court in the land. I'm going to make my appeal unto Caesar. And he did that. So he was taken to Rome as a prisoner to make his appeal, but he was under house arrest. Dr. Luke, who writes the book of Acts, you read in the very last chapter, it's almost the verse before the last, he says he was in his own hired house for two years. Now, he was under guard at all times in the house. He couldn't leave the house. He was under guard because he was awaiting his trial and things had to be done for defense and so forth and prosecution. So he was there for two years. But people could come and see him. And he was being guarded by the Praetorian Guard, by the elite guards of, of, the, of, Nero, or sorry, of Caesar. These were the elite guards. These were the SAS or the Navy SEALs of their day. And so every day they would have to change guard and watch him, and that would give him opportunity to share the gospel with them directly or indirectly through believers coming in and talking to him and through other things that he was doing at that time. And, 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 and what he did during this two years was he wrote four epistles, which we call now the prison epistles. Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, and Philippians. And probably Philippians was the last. And so he wrote these four prison epistles, which are tremendous. Ephesians and Colossians have some of the greatest theological Christian truths that you'll ever know and understand. Wonderful books. Philemon, you remember he wrote to his personal friend Philemon, a Christian businessman, and how that uh, his runaway slave 
somehow or other came in contact with Paul when he was under house arrest. Paul got him saved, sent him back with a little letter explaining to his boss, who was a friend of Paul, hey, listen, I know what he's done, but if he owes you anything, put it in my bill. I'll settle it up when I get home, when I come to see you. And so that's that little book of Philemon. It's a wonderful little book. But here he writes to this church in Philippi. And this letter is the most tender. You see a more gentler Paul. He's not rebuking. He's not harsh. Sometimes Paul could be very, very harsh. He could, I mean, if anybody could rebuke, he could rebuke. But with this people, he was gentle. He was tender. He was intimate. He was inspiring. He was encouraging. Now, all was not well at the church in Philippi at this time after 10 years, but he was careful how he approached them. He loved them absolutely dearly. And so he expresses this great joy to them in spite of his present circumstances. The two main themes in the book of Philippians, joy and rejoicing, is one, and it's mentioned 17 times. Imagine. He's been incarcerated for four years. Two in prison, two under house arrest. And yet, there's such joy in him. And when he writes to the church at Philippi, he writes and he talks about joy and rejoicing over and over and over again. What a man this is. And the gospel is a great theme. It's mentioned nine times, six times in the first chapter because that was his passion to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these Philippian friends, they were dear to him. They were fervent supporters. The very thought of them warmed his heart and lifted his spirits. And so he pens this tremendous loving letter to this little church in Philippi. And so with that introduction, and that was a long introduction, wasn't it? With that introduction, let's turn to the book of Philippians. Now, as you know, I've already said it's going to be a short series. Say, David, I don't believe a word of that short business. You keep telling us that. But trust, I believe it will be. So today is just setting the scene. In the next part, which will probably be tonight, I want to show you the importance of this book to the generation that we're living in. Because this is not just a story about a man loving a church 2,000 years ago and writing a lovely letter to them. This has got to mean something to us today. That's why the Holy Spirit includes it in the Bible. And we're living in an age, a postmodern age, when this is very important for us to know and to understand. So Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Doulos is bondservant. Someone who is given his life over to serve. Not just a captive against his will, but someone who has given their life to that person to serve them, a bond servant. And so Paul introduces him and Timothy as bond. Notice he just introduces himself as the apostle. Him and Timothy are bond servants. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the elders of the bishops and deacons. To all the saints 
Every one of us who are born again of God's Spirit is a saint, biblically speaking. We tend to think of the term saint as somebody who is super holy, super pious, either on earth or has gone to heaven. But that's not what it means. Actually, the word comes from meaning to be set apart. We are set apart once for God's glory and for God's service. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the elders and deacons. So the church has grown and now they have a structure. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is a typical greeting of the Apostle Paul. You'll see it over and over again in the scriptures, in the letters. Grace and peace. And he uses both Greek and Hebrew here. Grace, charis, and peace, shalom. Letting them know he's making no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Because that was a big issue in the early church. So grace to you, favor to you, blessing to you, and shalom. May God's peace, his prosperity, his blessing be upon you. So he uses both terms. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this beautiful, beautiful scripture. This is one that you can write to somebody someday that you can add a little postscript. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Isn't that lovely? How many people could you say that about when you think about them? I thank my God for every remembrance of you. Every time I think about you, I thank God I know you. I thank God I met you. I thank God the day our paths crossed. That's what he's saying. How many people could say that about us? Hmm. That's a bigger question, isn't it? How many people who, when they think of us, think, do you know what? I'm so glad I know that person. I'm so happy that person came into my life. You know, that's a blessed person. They bless me. I thank God for them. How many people could say that about you or say that about me? I hope there's somebody somewhere, eh? <laughs> but he certainly could say that about them. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all, all making requests for you all with joy. Huh. Everybody he thought about in that congregation, he thanked God for. Everybody he thought about when he prayed, he says, I'm praying with joy in my heart for them. You know, I'm, I'm not angry with them. I'm not upset with them. I, I thank God for them, and I love them, and I'm praying for them. Isn't that lovely? Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Ten years later, it's as good as the day they met. Isn't it lovely if there's somebody in your life after many, many years and your relationship is as good as the first day you met? It just has flowed 
And, and sometimes you may not see them for a long time and you meet them and you just pick up where you left off. That's lovely, isn't it? So there was no interruption here. Even after 10 years, and, and no doubt he had been back to Philippi, doesn't say, but no doubt he had been back to Philippi, certainly been in Macedonia. But even if he hadn't been, he says, I still think about you and pray for you. And you're still as important to me as you ever were. We have great fellowship. Isn't that lovely? Then he said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day Amen. of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great statement? Huh. What was the good work? Theologians argue, but what was this good work in you he's talking about? Was that the gospel? Was that salvation? Was that how they were living their lives for Christ? Was that the fact that they were generous in their support of missions and evangelism? I think it was all of those things. Everything that God had put into them is working. And they're flowing and they're going and they're blessed and they're a blessing. That good work. Whatever he has started in your life, can you believe and trust that he's going to complete it? That he is truly the Alpha and the Omega? Hmm? That he is the author and he is the finisher of your faith? In Psalm 138, Verse 8, let me just read it for you. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord will complete. The Lord will finish that which concerns me. Sometimes if you're getting it rough, sometimes if things doesn't seem to be working out the way you hoped they would work out in life, Maybe you say, Lord, I can't understand this. I don't get that. I don't know why this has happened. You've got to believe that God is going to complete your life. That's all part of a bigger picture that you may not yet understand. When they were way, way up there in Asia Minor and the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach, they couldn't understand that. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? We've gone to all this trouble. We've made all this long journey. All of her plans now is just put in one side. Why would God do that? But he had good reason. And only later could they see the hand of God in the whole thing. And sometimes that's like our lives too. We can't understand why stuff happens. But if we hold on and hang in there and trust God and say, God, what you've begun in my life, you will complete for me. Your plan is still good. I may not fully understand it. I may not see it at this point, sometimes only in hindsight. But Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm believing that your good will work out in my life and you will complete it all. Being confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. <laughs> Insomuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. Now he mentions his chains, his bonds, and he mentions it several times in Philippians. 
So even though he's been under arrest and even though he's full of joy in spite of it, but he's not ignoring the problem he's got, what he's facing, the issues. I'm in chains. I'm not free as I had been before. I can't get out of this house. But it's okay. What God starts in my life, he'll finish. I'm confident of that. Now he says, you are partakers with me of this grace. Now he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them. As, you, as we read through this, you'll see how much he's encouraging them. You know why? Because they may, go, they may be going to face similar situations. And he's encouraging them about it. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Ah, I wish I was with you. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I wish I was with you. If I was there, I would just love to give you a big hug. I long for you in the affection of Jesus Christ. Great sentiment, isn't it? And he meant every word of this. And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I want you to grow. I want you to grow more in your love. Not that you're not, but I just want it to increase. I want it to increase. I want your knowledge of Christ to increase. I want your knowledge of God's love to increase. I want you to prove things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense. Sincere is an interesting word. In the Latin, it's two words. It's sign, sira, S-I-N-E, sign, without, C-E-R-A, sira, wax without wax. Whenever the artisans, when they would make those beautiful porcelain little statuettes, sometimes there would be a crack appear and they would fill it up with wax so it wouldn't be seen and they would sell it on. But the more honest artisans, the more honest traders, they would put on it, if it had no cracks, they put on it without wax. Signed, Sarah, without wax. How would you know if I had wax? <coughs> Take it out to the sunlight, and the sunlight would melt it. And you would say, it's damaged goods. It's not as it seems on the outside. So he says, be without wax. Be sincere. Don't be fake. <laughs> Don't appear to be one thing that you're not. That's what he's saying. That you may be sincere without wax and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Now let me just wrap this up in a one minute got to stop somewhere so this is a good place I to stop I love what old Warren Wearsby said he made a comment about this first chapter 
And I'll just give you his three little headings. I, I didn't expand at all on it, but just his three little headings. In verse 3, he says, I have you in my mind. I thank my God about every remembrance of you. In verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. And in verse 9, he says, I have you in my prayers. Isn't that lovely? I have you in my mind. I have you in my heart. I have you in my prayers. If somebody's in her mind and they're on her heart, it's good to have them in her prayers, isn't it? I know that some of you work with a prayer list that you daily pray. I was at the Church of Ireland prayer meeting speaking at it just last week. They gave us some shoeboxes. And they have a, a rather unique way, to me anyway, I, I don't know anybody else that does it, maybe they do. Maybe it's a Church of Ireland thing, for all I know, I don't know. You can inform me if you know, but they had a big list of names, loads and loads and loads of names. And they read them all out, one after the other. And the girl was reading them out, she says, stay on or take off. If it was stay on, it means keep praying for that person. If it's take off, God's answered the prayer, let's move on. I mean, there must have been a hundred on the list. Any more for the list? Yes, put some more on. And then next week, stay on, take off. And then they pray for the people on the list. It was a great idea, wasn't it? Because they were on their mind. And they were in their heart. And they are in their prayers. And so the Apostle Paul has this wonderful church in his mind, in his heart, and in his prayers. And in part two, as I said, I want to show you how important this little book is for us today. It's relevant to where we are today as Christians in our society. So in part two, God willing, that's what we'll do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the inspiration of this wonderful letter that was inspired by the Holy Spirit and penned by the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the truths that we'll discover as we read through it. The truths that the Holy Spirit wants us to see and to know and to understand and to experience. So we give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.